least scattered people. We're not a sheltered people. Consider it all joy, again, not if, but when. When you encounter various trials. Now, you don't even have to go looking for them. Sooner or later, they're going to come to you. If you are a member of the human race, you will face trials. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We have begun a study in the book of James, which is known as a book filled with practical insights and helpful for our daily lives. Let's join Pastor Carl as he looks at how James encourages us to encounter trials and the difficulties of life. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the epistle of James, the Proverbs of the New Testament. Now, last week we began a brand new series on James, which is very practical. It's known for its practicality, but it's also known for some of its most profound theological truths in the New Testament. And like any book, we typically take it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And if you listen carefully to what James has to say, I promise you, your life will never, ever be the same. He's not a man who's interested in stained glass theology. He's interested in grass-stained advice. He wants to take your creed and turn it into conduct. He wants to take our belief and change our behavior. He's a man who wants to take doctrine and translate it into everyday duty. So he's not simply presenting to us a theoretical faith. He is presenting a faith, a belief that behaves. Now, if you were here last week, I gave you kind of a challenge. And I asked you that as we work through the book of James, and I suspect we'll be here at least until Easter, that once a week... You read the book of James. I had lunch with a brother this week and told me he'd already read it four times. When I left my home early this morning, I left at 6.05 and made my route through Dunkin' Donuts to get my coffee. And by the time I made it to the office and to my desk, I was able to listen to it twice. So you can get your app and just listen to it being read as well. That's another opportunity for you. It's just 108 verses. It is short, but it is life-changing. Now, last time, we studied just the first verse, and we attempted to ask and answer three foundational questions. First, who is James? Secondly, who are the recipients of this letter? And third, why is he writing this book? In terms of authorship, it's a little bit of a challenge because there are four different James that are mentioned in the New Testament. And by process of elimination, letting Scripture interpret Scripture, Add to that external evidence that early and late church fathers, there's one unanimous voice that the James who wrote this is the half-brother of Christ, who's converted at the resurrection and at that point deemed to be an apostle. There's another apostle, James, just like there's not only the original 12, Matthew who placed, replaced Judas, but there's this James that, who is described as an apostle in Galatians. Paul is an apostle. I take it Barnabas is an apostle. So there are 15 actually apostles in the New Testament. But this is a James who grew up with the Lord Jesus in a family of seven children. And of course, the audience to whom he is writing are Jewish Christians. That's not an oxymoron any more than being an Irish Christian or an Italian Christian. These are Hebrew people described as the 12 tribes who are dispersed, dispersed, or you could render it scattered. They're scattered like seed. And the reason they are dispersed is because of persecution. 
Now, every once in a while, someone calls into the Bible line and they ask a question about the 10 lost tribes of Israel. There are no 10 lost tribes. That came out of British Israelism, a white Anglo-Saxon theology that denied that in an anti-Semitic way that the Jewish people were still the Jewish people in the way the scripture describes the Jewish people and that now these Brits were the chosen people. And so for centuries they took out uh, the stone of scone, they called it, Jacob's pillow. Remember Jacob put his head on a pillow on a rock, so to speak. I've been to that place. It's a very, very rocky place. And every time a queen or a king was coronated, they'd bring that rock out. And it wasn't until Queen Elizabeth, who is born again, she'd had enough of that foolishness, and she said, there is no such thing. Listen, the 12 tribes are not lost. They're certainly not lost to God. They're not lost to James, because he's writing to the 12 tribes. And add to that, um, you know, the, a number of the 10 northern tribes that people say were lost are actually mentioned specifically in the New Testament, even at this time of year, like Anna from the tribe of Asher. But the reason he is writing this book is because these are Jewish people who confessed Jesus as Lord and it invited persecution. And so before we read our text, let me just um, give you an overview. The chapter will be in this chapter for a number of weeks. The first 11 verses deal with trials on the outside, the kind of trials that we face as believers in Jesus Christ as we walk through this world. Then in verses 13 through 27, he deals with temptations on the inside. And the hinge verse in the whole chapter is verse 12. So with that broad overview, let's read our text. I hope you bring a Bible with you to church. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, where we left off. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position." And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I heard about a college student who took his final exam and he got it back with a zero on it. And extremely disappointed, he went to the prof and he said, prof, I don't believe I deserve a zero. To which the prof said, well, I don't believe you deserve a zero either, but I couldn't find a lower grade to give you. <laughs> now you may be failing this morning in the test of life, but we can learn together. 
how to pass the test of life. God wants us to pass with an A+. And to help us to get an A+, on God's exam, I believe there are three timeless principles that the Apostle James gives us that we need to understand. If you're new, there's a note-taking outline. If you're online, you can print it out there at the website. Someone will give you instructions if you have questions. First, I want you to notice that we are to have joy in our trials. We're to have joy in our trials, and he begins with the fact of trials. That fact, the fact of trials. Now, notice how verse 2 begins. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Again, not if, but when you encounter various trials. Now, there's a lot of strange theology in our day beginning with those who think that all trials are simply punishment from God, and if you are under some trial, it must mean that you are under God's discipline. That's a false teaching, and it's really a misunderstanding of the nature of discipline. You're in James. If you will turn just a few pages over to the left to the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, the chapter opens by encouraging us to learn from a great cloud of witnesses who have just been mentioned in chapter 11. Men and women who chose to believe God in the midst of difficult circumstances. Men and women who learned to walk by faith in the promises of God. By the way, this verse, the opening verse, has absolutely nothing to do with those who have died and gone on who are watching us from heaven like spectators in a stand. Now, that makes for a very colorful preaching, but it ignores the context, and nothing could be further from the truth. And I suppose if that were true, it would make a heaven a little bit more like hell. Anyway, rather, the great cloud of witnesses that he is mentioning come from chapter 11. And um, they are not witnessing us, but they are witnessing to us. Look back just in chapter 11 for a moment. Chapter 11. Uh, again, he's been walking through all these great men and women of the faith. And drop down to verse 37 of chapter 11. He gives kind of a summary comment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Now, it's of such people that chapter 12 is referring to here in the opening verse. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, those mentioned in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he gives us the supreme example of the faith walk. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Now, if you know the book of Hebrews, you know these are Jewish Christians who are discouraged because they were experiencing persecution, both socially and economically, rejected by their families, their businesses were boycotted, yet he reminds them, though you have not been persecuted yet to the point of shedding blood. But even in the trials that they were facing, they were to consider Jesus, 
who could encourage the discouraged by his example. And then he adds a very important reminder that I want us to focus on in verses 5 and 6. He's quoting, as you can see, from the book of Proverbs. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. One great reason for the discouragement that these Jewish Christians were experiencing is because they had forgotten that the discipline of God was actually an expression of his love. And if you forget that God's discipline is an expression of his love then you too can become despondent. Listen, all discipline is not enacted for something that you've done that's wrong. If that were true, then the Lord Jesus would not be someone to watch because he experienced discipline. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 concerning Jesus, the writer says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Jesus himself was not exempt from discipline, even though he was the Son of God, even though he was absolutely perfect in everything he said in word and deed and in thought was absolutely holy. And yet the Bible says he gained perspective through suffering. He learned obedience. In what sense? He's the omniscient God. He laid aside, without ever giving up, he laid aside the exercise of his divine attributes, and he lived in dependence upon God the Spirit. And so he learned obedience. And so at this time of year, we often read from Luke 2.52, he grew in favor with God and with man. So there are many reasons given for discipline. Sometimes, yes, indeed, it is corrective. But sometimes it's instructive. We would discipline our children sometimes in an instructive way. We wanted to teach them how to work. We wanted to teach them how to pray and study the Bible for themselves. But sometimes it was for bad behavior. Listen to another reason for trials from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed. We like to say blessed and using the old English, but it's actually blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So sometimes God allows a trial in our life so we can learn for some future time how to comfort someone else who's going through the identical trial that the comfort God expressed in our life, we in turn can express to someone else. Now back here to James chapter 1 in verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And again, there's a lot of strange theology in our day saying that, well, first, all trials are simply punishment from God. And if you are under some kind of trial, you are under God's disfavor. It may mean just the opposite. And it's one of the reasons James is going to admonish us to ask for wisdom in the midst of our trial. And it might be that God is actually, as we just read from 2 Corinthians 1, he sees you as a mature enough Christian that he is going to let you go through a trial that someone else who might not be quite so mature might find comfort through your life and the the ministry that God's Spirit brought you when you went through it. 
Sometimes God helps us with a trial to help another person. Paul expressed this very thought in 2 Corinthians 7. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Paul got depressed. Yes, he and his whole team got depressed. And God used an individual to come alongside and comfort them. Some have concluded that trials are punishment or that they're only for the immature, or some have concluded that they are from the devil. And so in prosperity theology, they speak much about health and wealth, and they falsely appeal to promises that were not made to the church, but made uniquely to Israel that they think somehow you can just claim. For instance, in Exodus 15 and verse 26, some of these guys on TV will often quote this verse. If you will give earnest heed, God said, to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. There it is, they said. It's a promise. You don't have to have any of the diseases that the Egyptians had. You just need faith to believe that. Now, that was a promise God made to Israel. Always consider the context. Or this verse in Deuteronomy 29 in verse 5. They use this to say that God wants to bless you financially. God said, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandal has not worn out on your foot. Now, these two verses, again, two promises made to the people of Israel, and one was a miracle promise. They were both miracle promises, right down to your clothing, your sandals. For 40 years and they didn't wear out, that's what God did. And they say, well, if you have enough faith, then God will bless you with great prosperity. And so in some circles, they use verses like this for their health and wealth theology. And then you've got people like Mary Baker Eddy, long ago dead. Her mansion was right across the street from Boston College where I went to school. And, of course, the thrust of her theology called Christian science, we don't have much of it here in the South, but you get up into the northeastern part of the United States, and there's Christian science churches all over the place. Well, number one, it's neither Christian nor is it scientific. But in her mind, death and pain and sickness were all a figment of your imagination that you could outthink it. In fact, she said that if you did it well enough, you wouldn't die. In fact, when she did die... They propped her up there in her carriage, and they put her up and down Beacon Street there in Boston, bringing her up like she was still alive, and finally they had to bury her. But as she requested, if I do die, bury me with a telephone, and they put one of the early telephones in her coffin. Listen, trials are not like the boogeyman. They are real, and they cannot be outthought. And so God tells us here in verse 2, we are to expect trials. And certainly the Christian who expects trials in life will not be in a shock for when they come. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I hope you have that testimony in your heart today. God gives assurance, as we studied in our basic discipleship course recently, on a number of levels. One is the finished work of Christ. Another level is the indwelling presence of the Spirit, where He bears witness to your spirit that you've been born from above. And then He says, and if children, 
heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Oh, that doesn't sell well today. Sometimes you suffer with Christ. Jesus promised in John chapter 16 and verse 13, in the world you will, you will, you will have tribulation. The Apostle Paul told the church at Antioch and some other visiting churches, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Likewise, the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. He said, don't be surprised when you're persecuted like this is odd. Jesus said, if they mistreated me, they'll mistreat you because you're not above the master. Listen, the prosperity theology of our day absolutely is nauseating, it's offensive, and I know it's disgusting to God. It's just stinking, rotten, bad theology, and it's not even close to being right into what God says in his word. But James didn't teach that. Trials are a part of life. They're a part of the maturation process. So he says, count it all joy, not when you escape various trials. Now, that might make more sense to some. But count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Remember to whom he is writing. We studied that single verse last week. He is writing to the diaspora to the dispersed ones, to the scattered people. Well, these scattered people were not a sheltered people. Consider it all joy, again, not if, but when. When you encounter various trials. Now, you don't even have to go looking for them. Sooner or later, they're going to come to you. If you are a member of the human race, you will face trials. That's the fact of trials. Second, beyond the fact of trials, there is the form of trials. The form of trials. There's a note-taking outline for those online who've just tuned in. You can download it and take notes. The form of trials. Again, here in verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Some translations say diverse trials. The American Standard Version of 1901, which was a predecessor to the new American Standard that you're reading, most of you, says manifold trials. Or the Net Bible uses three words to translate the one, all sorts of trials. It's the word poikolos, and it comes into Latin and then into English as polka dot. Polka dot trials. Trials are spotted, they're dotted, they're speckled, they're, they're, they're splattered, they're of all sizes and shapes. They come in many, many different forms and ways. They might be concerning your health, they might be concerning your job, different relationships, your, your standing in the community, your past, your hopes that maybe seem shattered, your children, whatever it may be. Trials come in many colors like the rainbow that God himself created. Many and varied polka dot kind of trials that come into this world. Now we get sick, things that we own break, accidents happen, disappointments come, and at time even tragedies in life. Life is full of trials. Life is not perfect. Add to that, as Christians... We face some trials that come from the evil one. Job was such a one, and before we're done with James, he himself will mention Job, because we wage war not against people, but against the powers, against the evil one. And so James tells us that we're going to encounter 
or you're going to fall into, or the RSV says you're going to experience, or you're going to face various trials, again, depending on your English translation. Here is a beautiful place to visit when you go to Israel. We speak about the man who was on the Jericho Road. Remember, he went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He went down some 3,000 feet. Now, if you go to Israel today, you never really see this road unless you make a special stop there. And it's kind of out of the way, but it's a magnificent place to see. This was the road that that man traveled on when he fell among robbers. And in fact, the word fell among robbers is the same word that's used here in the NASB as encounter. He encountered, he fell among robbers. It's actually used only one other time in all the New Testament. In Acts chapter 27, when the Apostle Paul is on a ship headed towards Rome, and then they unexpectedly encounter, same word, this storm that, of course, breaks the ship apart. We studied it recently. And so the Greek word expresses just some unexpected, sudden trial that comes upon you. And very often, that's the way trials come, just suddenly, without warning, like the man who encountered the robbers on the Jericho Road. In fact, the word here for trial is a rather interesting word in itself. In verbal form, it is actually a word in Greek that comes into Latin, that comes into English as pirate. We get our English word pirate from this Greek word. I mean, you're just sailing along, everything seems to be fine, and all of a sudden the shadow of a pirate ship comes up along your ship, and they try to break on board. Well, you may be sailing along life, and everything seems good, and then suddenly, unexpectedly, a trial comes. Now, I know what some of you are thinking here this morning. You're thinking, Pastor, everything is just fine. I have no problems in life. My blood pressure is down. My bank account is up. Everything is sweet. You just wait. It's coming. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. Some of you are coming out of a trial. Some of you listening to me today, you're right in the midst of a trial. And some of of you, like like the man walking on the Jericho Road, suddenly, unexpectedly, a trial is going to come on your life. The next phone call could bring a tragedy. And so how are we going to respond? It may be a trial that comes just because we live in a fallen world. Look, some of the trials we bring, quote unquote, on ourselves, and we'll see that as we continue through this short little epistle. A lot of the problems we have, they are just a a kickback for bad choices that we have made due to disobedience. Or a trial could be a solicitation to evil. And we'll see next time how a trial can turn into a temptation if we do not respond properly to the trial. Winston Churchill, in addressing the House of Commons, gave this advice, quote, We must always be ready to meet at our average moment anything that any possible enemy could hurl against us at this selected moment. Now, that's a wise statement. I don't know if Winston Churchill ever came to a saving faith in Christ, but what he said, whether he knew it or not, was a biblically-based statement. Are you ready in the average moment of life for what the devil or what life may bring in some selected moment? Trials and temptations can be encountered quickly, unexpectedly, again like the man on the Jericho Road. If you would like to order a copy of today's message in its entirety, go online to searchofscriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program James 002. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. When we return Monday, Pastor Carl will continue his study on the book of James. Join us then as we search the scriptures.